0: This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? I'm all right, mate. How's things with yourself? Yes, good, thank you. Back from the capital, having watched Grimsby Town Secure promotion back to the Football League on Sunday, so that was a fun day out, a uh, new ground ticked off at West Ham's Ground. I tell you what, I wouldn't want that to be my home ground. I got lost about four times, and that's not even an exaggeration. It is huge. And because it's so big, none of the stewards know where anything is. So the press room, I, I tried to find it. It's four floors. And I, I went on each floor and couldn't find it. And then it was at the bottom. And ironically, there was an elevator that took you straight from the press room to the press box. And I didn't know that and ended up, I went to the press box first and then a different elevator and just got lost walking around the Olympic Stadium, which wasn't great and wanted some food. So disappointing times. But yeah, big ground if you go and visit it. Don't get lost. Never been? Probably never will? Hmm. No, probably not. As always, a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at champchatpod24. And on today's podcast, we're going to be naming our Championship Team of the Seasons and handing out some individual awards as well. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. So, George, it comes to that fun time of the season where everyone gets to pick their teams and everyone puts nine strikers up front and there's no balance to any of the teams, I've gone for a very balanced 3-5-2 or a 3-4-1-2, if we're being slightly more accurate. You've gone for a a 4-1-2-1-2 diamond with width. So you're playing one attacking mid and one defensive mid. I went 3-5-2 because I think it's fair, because pretty much everyone in the championship plays 3-5-2. So I felt like I should go 3-5-2. And the official team, for the first time ever, really, it's always usually 4-4-2, isn't it? Or 4-3-3. It's usually 4-3-3, but three strikers rather than actual wingers. Um. So yeah, I've gone three five two with uh, uh, alongside the official team of the season. I think there's going to be some symmetry in our picks, but I hope not too much. So we'll see how things go. George, who is your goalkeeper? Well, it was quite easy for me. I had to go with Lee Nichols
1: for Huddersfield Town. I mean, people will possibly point out that Mark Travers of Bournemouth kept more clean sheets this season, but. Obviously, there was an expectancy for him and for Bournemouth to perform well this season. Lee Nichols came in, having barely played at MK Don's on a free transfer, largely unknown quantity at championship level. And he kept 18 clean sheets, helped Huddersfield go all the way to the playoff final and arguably was one of the signings of the season. He didn't cost Huddersfield a penny. He made some outstanding saves. He produced a string of fine performances Obviously, played a pivotal role in the the second leg against Luton in the playoff semi-finals. Pulled off some really important saves that night, and just everything about him throughout the whole season. He he kind of summed up what Carlos Carlos, Carlos had built at Uddersfield in the sense that he would brought together a a team that wasn't packed with high end Championship stars, but they were willing to pull their weight and fight for the badge. And Lee Nichols epitomised that completely. And I mean, eighteen clean sheets is. A remarkable effort for any goalkeeper in the Championship, but let alone one that had been literally filling the bench at a League One club in MK Don's the season prior. So for me, Huddersfield's Lee Nicholls was the obvious candidate to be my goalkeeper of the season. But at the same time, you've got to give an honourable mention to Mark Travers. He enjoyed a really good uh, campaign for Bournemouth. And Wes Fodringham as well for Sheffield United. He, He did really, really well when he came into the side. So There's been a few candidates for that, but I think Lee
0: Nichols justifiably wins that uh, area of the pitch for me. Yeah, I can't argue with that. I've got Lee Nichols in goal too, although, as you say, Travers got 20 clean sheets. No one got, uh, other than Travers, nobody got any more than Lee Nichols with 18 in 43 games. Didn't cost Huddersfield Town a penny, was an area of the pitch they definitely needed to improve. And as you know, Ryan Schofield did okay last season, not brilliantly. And then Nichols comes in. Um, as an understudy really as a number two signing and to have the impact he's had he's really been part a huge part of that transformation of the defence that, that conceded the most goals in the championship last season to a team that we now probably rate more as a defensive team than an offensive team and finish third with 80 plus points so Lee Knuckles has got to be the uh, the choice for me in goal now I've got three centre-backs Um, So I'm going to go through all of them and you can pick your two afterwards. So on the right side of the defence, I've got Joe Worrell, Mr Nottingham Forest. He has been terrific and has played predominantly on the right side of a a back three for Steve Cooper's team. I think the thing that's impressed me most this season is his uh, ball playing ability in terms of I knew already he was a good defender and that he could... Head it and kick it as as you know as elementary as that sounds. It was good in the, you know, the core principles of defending. Playing in the back three, you've got to have a lot more T game than that as well. And I feel like those sort of skill sets have really not developed, because he probably already had them anyway, but we've been able to see them more. It's more important when you are playing in a back three, you know, if you're on the right or the left side of that defence. A lot of the time you in possession particularly, you spend your time playing as a fullback essentially with wing-backs pushed even higher as wingers. So his relationship with Jed Spence shouldn't go under the radar. You know, that little triangle almost with Brennan Johnson, Worrell and Spence has been really good. And there's one moment in particular um, against Reading, I remember, where he picks the ball up in that right channel, drives forward, lovely defence splitting pass to Jed Spence, but then whips it across for Keenan Davis to tap into the back of the net. And that was after 17 seconds. And they won that game 4-0 in the end, Nottingham Forest. And that just epitomised for me how good he has been. Second best defence in the league with Nottingham Forest and he was a massive, massive part of that. Captained them at Wembley, got to lift the trophy as a boyhood um, fan of the club. Got, had to be in my team of the season. Second person is Lloyd Kelly in the heart of the defence. Um, of captain and the, the most consistent part of their defence this season. He had Gary Cahill alongside him in the first half of the season. And then in the second half of the season, uh, of course, that became Nat Phillips. I think the thing that I like about Kelly is he allows Scott, he's fundamental to how Scott Parker wants to play in the fact that he wants his defence to push really high up the pitch. He wants them to leave spacing behind because he wants to be aggressive in the press. And you can't do that if there's massive gaps and your defence is stuck, you know, 20 yards from goal. You can't press in midfield the and there's just two big gaps to be played through. So if you play for a Scott Parker team, you've got to play really high. And that was why, I think Gary Cahill got squeezed out a little bit because of that lack of mobility potentially as he ages. Nat Phillips, kind of a similar mould really to Cahill, but younger, obviously not the same quality in their absolute prime. But Kelly is is fundamental, as I say, because he's got that recovery pace. He's got an intelligence. Physically, he continues to grow. He's very impressive in terms of his, his physical attributes. As I say, he's got that recovery pace, which is crucial when you're playing a high line. And he's been really, really important a mainstay in the defence, club captain, and it's been great to see him flourishing. I definitely think he will cut it at Premier League level, no matter what happens to Bournemouth next season. And then on the left-hand side of defence, uh, I've gone for Kai Smith, who's obviously been absolutely brilliant for Luton Town. Mr. Versatile, capable of doing a job pretty much anywhere. He's played left wing-back or left-back in a back four. He's played holding midfield when they've had injuries. Last season, he played right wing at times, and certainly played in that role for Wigan as well. So he can do everything. He's just a very intelligent footballer. But again, playing in a back three, you've got to be more than just a defender, and, and being able to, and comfortable and capable of bringing the ball out of defence, playing defence splitting passes, contributing in attack, lovely set piece deliveries as well with that left foot. I just think he's a very very intelligent footballer. I think he's been brilliant for for Luton Town. Ironically, compared to the, the back three that was in the official championship team the season, I've left out Adorabio and put Naismith in. And actually, you know, if you ask me who do I think is the best defender in the championship, I would probably say Adorabio. But based on this season's work, I think Adorabayo had a very good season. But I don't think, I think he's been the fourth best defender. I couldn't not have these three in my back line. Despite overall, I probably think he's the most complete package, Adorabio. But I've gone with those three. And obviously, the interesting thing with Kai Naismith is he's now trying for Bristol City. Seems a bit of an odd move, but not really when you think of the the more logistical elements. Bigger club, no disrespect to Luton, bigger wages and a three-year contract at the age of 30 for some security for him and his family. So, certainly one that raised eyebrows and impressive for Bristol City that they've managed to get it over the line. But for me, I think he's definitely deserving of a place in the Championship team of the season. So, Warrell, Kelly and Kai Smith are my back three. Who are your two centre-backs? Well, I can match one of them. Lloyd Kelly's made it into my team for
1: pretty much all the reasons you said. Pretty much essential to how Scott Parker plays out from the back. He's got that turn of speed, which allows Bournemouth to play the way that they do. And he was just kind of the glue in that defence, wasn't it? That helped them keep 21 clean sheets this season. He was integral to the way that they played. And him and Gary Cale at the start of the season obviously had such that blossoming partnership. And ultimately, it was Lloyd Kelly that kept his place because of the way Scott Parker wanted to play. And he really came on in leaps and bounds this season. He really stepped up and was arguably one of the probably the one of the most improved defenders in the Championship, I would argue, this season, certainly in terms of centre-halves. Really stepped it up and consistently performed well. That was a big thing for me. He was consistent in his displays and he never looked shirked by... Any, any potential danger that came his way. So, really solid season for him. In terms of who joins him, I did have a toss-up between two and Joe Worrell was debated. But I did have to go with Tosin Abrabaio purely because I thought he's been key in helping Fulham win promotion at a canter, really. Won the title. Played in all but five games this season. Chipped in with a couple of goals, a couple of assists. But defensively, solid as a rock. Man-mountain at the back. and arguably, he's now at the stage where he needs to prove that he can cut it in the Premier League every week. So, I think it's a big, big season ahead for him next year. But I thought he was excellent this year. I really did. And that's no disrespect to Joe Worrell, who was equally as impressive in his own right, what Forrest achieved. But Ador just, for me, edges it that little bit in the fact that he helped the, the champions get the job done. And obviously, everybody looks at Fulham and thinks that Mitrovic and Wilson is the main men. But you've got to have a solid back line to make anything
0: successful. And Adrobayo is a key part of that. Absolutely. And as I say, I think between us, we've got the four best centre-backs in the Championship this season, without a doubt. Adrobayo, if I could buy anyone for my team, Adrobayo would probably be my pick. I think he's overall, for getting formed, the best defender in the Championship. Him and Kelly, probably. But I think these three deserve it more in terms of a pick. But Adrobayo would be next in line without a shadow of a doubt. I feel like we're going to have the same full-backs and wing-backs and I'll be impressed if not. Um, I'll start on the... I'll let you start if I, I did the centre-back. So, go on, you start.
1: Well, on the you, right... You, you do, was, do the
0: right and I'll go left. There was only going to be one
1: contender, wasn't there? It had to be Jed Spence. I mean, there's not been a better right-sided fullback, back wing-back, however you want to call it, this season than him. I mean, he's been absolutely outstanding, hasn't he? And the fact that he's now being linked with the likes of Tottenham and Manchester United just... Proves exactly what he's done and obviously went to Forest under the impression that he wasn't going to get a look in at Middlesbrough. The season started in a relegation battle for Forest and he played a key role in the the transformation that occurred under Steve Cooper. Obviously, bomb forward at every opportunity possible, was a threat going forward with the ball at his feet, could dig out across, five assists, couple of goals as well. And just a real joy to watch. You always get a real feeling of excitement when you see him on the ball because he's so quick and dynamic and just loves to fly down that right flank. And he was doing it at Wembley last weekend and did it countless times throughout the season. So for me, I I don't think there was anybody that even came close to reaching the levels that he did in terms of a right-sided full-back this season. So it made me uh, pick this one very, very easily. So Jed Spence gets the right-back berth for me.
0: Yeah, I agree. Obviously, no debate, especially in my system, three-five-two need someone like Spence down that side. He plays more like a winger, undoubtedly, and he's yeah. going to make Middlesbrough a pretty penny in the summer. Um, he, he will definitely be playing in the Premier League next season. I'm sure Nottingham Forest will have an attempt to get him. I think one of the big... It feels to me like, you know how Dan Juma has gone to Villarreal for £20 million quid, and now he's being linked with Manchester United, etc, etc, for £70 million. Pounds. He will. I feel like if someone like Forrest buys him this and, and maybe they get relegated or something, I think we'll have the same thing. Look at, like, Terry Lamptey had one good season and he was getting touted for that so many. I think if someone buys Jed Spence, middling Premier League club, you like, some Manchester United and the big clubs, it'll get linked for 40, 50, 60 the next year. That's what I can see happening. So, if I was someone, I'll tell you who he'd suit, Tottenham. Tottenham Want to invest. They need a right wing-back. No, he's not going to play every week. You know, they've got Doherty as well and Emerson Royale. But Jed Spence, and I think naturally he would suit a better team in the Premier League because his qualities are going forward and a team that's going to dominate possession and not going to be challenged as much defensively will potentially bring out the best in Jed Spence. And he would suit an Antonio Conte-style
1: system, which we saw at Chelsea with the wing-backs in that tenure he had. So, fully agree. Absolutely. If he was to go to... One of the Premier League's elite this summer, I think Tottenham is is tailor made for him. I really do.
0: Absolutely, I completely agree, and I think that I can. If he makes a middling move, he goes to Forest or another one of the bottom half Premier League clubs. I can see 40, 50 million quid getting linked next yeah. summer after one good season in the Premier League. So it'd be nice if Premier League clubs got ahead of the curve for a change and were able to to jump the jump the queue, and they won't have to pay out so much money. But there we yeah. are. On the left-hand side, I've gone for Harry Toffolo. Um, I did very much want to, um, you know, I really have liked Jordan Zamora this season and and I put him in, you know, Zamora was my choice for the, when we did our half, you know, our team the season's at the halfway point. But I think injuries have slightly hampered him a little bit in the second half of the season. So I've got to go with Toffolo for the form, particularly he's been in at the back end of this season. 14 goal contributions in the end, he went on. A ridiculous runner scoring five and six, I think it was, for Huddersfield. And he's been a real key figure down that left-hand side. Um, he's got one year left on his contract. He was actually out of contract this summer, but the club have, of course, triggered that. He's in talks over a new deal. And if I was them, I'd get him tied down pretty sharpish because I think I could see Premier League suitors for him, definitely. And it's been great to watch him develop because, obviously, it was at Norwich. I watched him actually really young on loan at Rotherham United when they were in the Championship first time around before they got relegated when Steve Evans had brought them up and then he was let go by Norwich had to go down to Lincoln City then up to Huddersfield when Huddersfield were right at the bottom and now he's established himself as for me the best left wing back in the division um, at the moment and I say 14 goals contributions is amazing he just gives them a lot of thrust and when you think about Huddersfield's attackers quite a lot lot of the more technical players come to feet Sonani, Holmes, Ward Wood can running behind a little bit, but sometimes comes to feet. So only really saw but Thomas and then Toffolo, who's almost you know is meant to be a left wing back. They're the ones running beyond and stretching defenses. So he's been really crucial for for Huddersfield. Massive part of the reason why they finished third, and for me, rightly takes that left wing back spot. Yep, I've got to say, Snap. I've
1: gone for Harry Toffolo as well on the left of my back four. Pretty much for all the reasons you've described and the fact that he obviously improved at such a dramatic rate of knots this season and played such a key role in what they achieved come the end of the season. And I mean, for a left-back, left-wing-back, I mean, 14 direct goal contributions is not to be sniffed at. That's a really, really impressive return, especially for a player that, like I said, was not considered as one of the, the best full-backs in the division at the start of the season. Six goals is impressive. Eight assists is impressive as well. And he just really, really impressed me, particularly towards the end of the campaign. And people might say, well, that goals tally only shot up over about a three-week period. He didn't show it consistently. Maybe the goals didn't come consistently, but his performances were certainly there consistently. He was he was brilliant for Huddersfield Town. And like I said many times over the last few months, Huddersfield are not a team packed with high-end championship stars that you you pick out, say, for your fantasy team or whatever, But Harry Toffolo this season has raised his game now to be in a position where he can be considered as one of the best left-backs in the league. And he's been really, really good. But like you said, I did consider Jordan Zamora as well. He crossed my mind and I looked at his stats and they did make good reading. But Toffolo, for me, just in the sense that he'd obviously done it in a team that wasn't expected to achieve much this season, he, he just took the headline to me in that position. So... Really interesting how he kicks on next season because all of a sudden now he's gone from being a player that's not got a lot of focus on him to all of a sudden being considered one of the best in the league in that area. So really interesting for him, but terrific this season and for me fully justifies the left-back spot.
0: Central midfield. Obviously, I've got two natural central midfielders. You've got one number 10 and one holding midfielder. Kick us off. Right, well, in terms of the holding midfielder, I have opt to go for Ryan Yates of Nottingham Forest. Massively,
1: massively improved this season, I think. I mean, eight goals as well. Not a bad return for a defensive-minded midfielder. And it just massively improved under Steve Cooper since he got the job. And it kind of continues that trend, the fact that Steve Cooper has just managed to improve pretty much every player he's ever worked with. And Ryan Yates, I mean... I remember him years and years ago when he was on loan at Scunthorpe United and I just looked at him and I thought there's potential for this lad to to break through and really have a good kind of become a consistent season championship player and he kind of dropped off a little bit but this season for me he's been terrific and obviously everyone looks at that Forest midfield and focuses on James Garner as the young hungry talent but Ryan Yates has been just as effective in his own right for Forest this season. And for me, I'm. I think he will get a chance to prove himself in the Premier League next year. So he's done really well, Ryan Yates. I think he'd be disappointed they didn't get any assist to his name, but he managed eight goals. So he to have got very, very close to double figures for a player that's not renowned as a goal scoring midfielder. He's going to be pretty chuffed with that. So for me, Ryan Yates certainly deserves taking that spot. Philip Billing, I think, is another one that you've got to credit for that role in kind of being defensive minded. But again expectation level was there for him so that's just swayed my thinking a little bit on Ryan Yates and he's really kicked on as the season went on so for me Ryan Yates but there were several others that could have fitted in that uh, position including his teammate James Garner
0: Yeah absolutely I'll I, 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 I I'll let you go and do your second pick before I lambast you for an absentee I know I know and I hate it
1: but no I've had to include in the number 10 position I've gone with John Swift for me one of the stars of the season, considering he was performing in a team that flirted with relegation pretty much all season. I think you could
0: definitely could have got away with just playing Swift and Swift and Yates as a midfield too. Well, it doesn't matter. Okay. We're only playing the game
1: on paper, mate. It's not real. But eleven goals, thirteen assists for John Swift. That for me is just ridiculous numbers, considering he was in a team that struggled so so much. Twenty-two direct goal, um, twenty-four direct goal contributions, I should say is a remarkable achievement. It really is. And obviously, Reddy missed him so much last season when he was injured for most of the campaign. But prior to that, he'd consistently hit high numbers and he's done it again this year. And and like I say, I mean, to have got into double figures for both goals and assists cannot be, cannot go unnoticed. And to have done it for a team that was struggling all year makes it all the more impressive. He didn't. It wasn't littered with sensational stars around him. It took him ready in ages to get Lucas Joao back fully fit to give him Somebody, you know, kind of a technical high-end championship player alongside him. So, for me, John Swift fully justifies being in that area of the team. Really impressed with him. And all of a sudden now, all the pressure is going to be on him, I think, at West Brom. Because he's going to go there, obviously, with a a big reputation as a season championship creator. West Brom, obviously, have got big strides and big improvements to make next year. And Steve Bruce will be hoping to get a tune out of him like Paul Ince and... Paunovic did this season because in a season of misery for Reading he was the shining light by a million miles
0: I've got two completely different central midfielders to you one of which one of which I cannot believe you've not got in and the other I I was I could have picked about three players for the next position so I'm not bothered how have you not got Lewis O'Brien in your team? Well he's got he's got
1: a little note on my list in front of me as an honourable mention for someone else but Ryan Yates and me just took the shining light because of his gold tally. Lewis O'Brien's had a very, very good season. And if Huddersfield fans are listening, yep, you probably hate me. You probably are disgusted that I've not gone with Lewis O'Brien. But the trend is going to continue where other brilliant players this season are going to miss out. And you'll find out shortly who else. So, I personally feel guilty for having left out. Yeah, so I know, Lewis O'Brien
0: In the attacking areas, there's a lot of choice. Lewis O'Brien has been, by far and away, the best central midfield in the Championship for me this season. I think he's the best central midfield in the Championship, regardless of what season you want to talk about. He's just brilliant. He travels with the ball so well. He picks it up and he draws fouls from the opposition. He's got a great eye for a pass, and he's the driving force in that Huddersfield-Town midfield. There's no way he will be a Championship player next season. If he is, again... So many clubs are missing a trick because he has a release clause in his contract at around the £10 million mark, if uh, what I understand is correct. And he, he will be a bargain pick-up for anyone. I think he is really... I thought last season he was very good, but there were still question marks. Is he going to be a top-end championship player? Is he going to be a Premier League player? He is a Premier League footballer for me. Miles better season than Ryan Yates. Miles better season than John Swift. John Swift's numbers are very good. John Swift, I think if you speak to Reading fans, second half of the season, he went missing for a large portion. He hasn't played very well for a while now. But his numbers are fantastic because he started the season so well. Now, I haven't got a problem with Swift being in there or Yates, really. But to put them two together above Lewis O'Brien, Lewis O'Brien should be the first name in that central midfield spot. And then Swift, Yates, come into it as the second spot. Uh, The second spot of which I've gone for Philip Billing. Again, own Denard, this is probably the the one position the team I'm least confident and most open to being swayed about. Lewis O'Brien, definite, but who partners him? I think Billing's been very good. I think Swift, obviously, you can't ignore at the start of the season he had in his numbers. Ryan Yates, James Garner have had very good seasons. Fulham have mixed their midfield up a little bit, so I don't think you can really pick out a star there. Lewis Cook, Jefferson Lerman have had good seasons. But I've gone with Phil Billing because I think when Huddersfield Town need a goal, and they need someone to stand up, if it's not going to be Dominic Solanke, Philip Billing is the next most reliable goal scorer in that team. He's got 10 goals and 10 assists from a, an advanced number 8 position. You know, he's not played as an outright number 10, but it would equally be wrong to, to say he's played box-to-box, because he hasn't. Um, and as I say, he's their best source of goals after Solanke, and I think we've really seen a development in him from... I think a defensive-minded player that had physical qualities but not a lot else I think we would have said. Good, good championship midfielder. So suddenly, someone who's got skill and dynamism in the final third and he can score goals and he's got a very good knack of arriving late into the box and scoring goals from about 14 yards or so into the back of the net. So I think he's been really good this season. Again, probably one that had a better first half of the season than second half of the season. But, Having watched him at Ewood Park live, him and Solanke were brilliant that day. He scored two goals, Solanke got the other. And I think Phil Billing definitely deserves a spot in the team uh, to complete the central midfield. So, I've got a front three. Um, You've obviously got a front four of sorts. Um, I will let you do your wingers. Well, on the right,
1: I I had to go for Harry Wilson. I had to go for Harry Wilson at Fulham. I mean, he can't rack up 30-goal contributions and not getting a team of the season, can you? It'd be criminal, really, to leave him out. I mean, 10 goals, 20 assists. And For me, I don't think he got enough attention for what it's deserved because I think there's such an expectancy on him as a championship player to produce high numbers because he's, he was terrific at Cardiff, terrific at Derby. Uh, and obviously, in a Fulham side that scores goals by the lorry load, he was always going to shine and that's exactly what he did. I mean, 10 goals, he'd probably be disappointed with that, if anything. I think, personally, I think he will have wanted to get a few more, considering how fluent the goals came for Fulham. But 20 assists, that's not to be sniffed at for any player in this league. So he deserves huge recognition for that. It was a toss-up between him and Brennan Johnson, basically, to play on the right-hand side for me with the way my formations worked out. And I feel bad for leaving Brennan out. He's been one of my favourite players this season. But Harry's numbers were just that little bit better. So that's what... uh, tip for my preference to go for him. On the left, I've gone for Jaden Anthony of Bournemouth. Really impressed by him. Massively came from nowhere at the start of the season. I always remember the first game of the season against West Brom on that Friday night, looking at the Bournemouth team sheet and wondering who on earth is this kid. I've I've never heard of him, even though he'd obviously played a little bit towards the end of the season before. But he flourished in that Bournemouth team. I mean, he got eight goals and six assists. Not a bad return for a 22 year old that had never experienced a full season of playing championship football. So, and I think naturally in my system, finding an out and out left winger that had consistently done well this season was quite hard to find. Chris Willock had obviously had a really good run, but then injury setting for him for QPR. So for me, Jaden Anthony, and I'm I'm really intrigued to see what the future holds for him because I think he is a, a star in the making. There's something about him that I think could take him quite quite far. So it be interesting to see how he gets on in the Premier League next season, but for me I thought he deserved a spot on the left-hand side.
0: Well, I've only got three forward spots to pick from and you've got four. And I've not got Harry Wilson as a result because he doesn't fit my formation. And again, the only place I could have put him was at number 10, which he's not really played. So that would be a little bit of cheating. And it was him or Brendan Johnson. And I I know that Harry Wilson has got better figures this season than Brendan Johnson. But I just think... I've got to have Brendan Johnson in that team. So he is my number 10. He is the official young player of the year. And he's been Nottingham Forest's shining light. And I'm so excited to see what he could do in the the Premier League next season. I think that I hope he stays at Forest. I hope that he plays regularly, which I'm sure he will. And he stays injury-free. And I think he can really, really cause problems because he's such a good ball carrier. He's so good at using that pace to get up the field um, he, his link up plays really good, he's tactically versatile. He could play off the left, he could play off the right, he could play as a number 10. And I think that we'll really see a potential to develop in him because it he won't have as many opportunities to influence games in the Premier League as you do. You get fewer chances and fewer moments, and you've got to make those big moments count. So I want to see them develop. I think he'll go to the Qatar World Cup with Wales, which will be great for him as well. He came off the bench. Um, on Sunday night as we record on Monday and had a a really good cameo as well and made an impact against Ukraine and I think he's just one that's going to blossom and I think it would be wrong to not have him in the team because I love watching him play and although Harry Wilson's numbers are fantastic if I was playing a four man you know if I was playing a back four I'd have them both in there no doubt about it Um, whereas you've still not got Brendan Johnson despite playing a back four so It was one or the other and I've gone for Brendan Johnson and I'm perfectly comfortable with that decision. So that's who I've gone with. And then I will be absolutely shocked if we haven't got the same two strikers. So, George, if you want to take your son, your prodigal son. Yeah, Dominic Solanke made his way
1: in there. It was like Harry Wilson, it was impossible to ignore him. I mean, 36 goal contributions this season, ridiculous numbers, 29 goals, 7 assists. And continued to go from strength to strength as the season went on. He was integral to what Bournemouth achieved. Absolutely superb. And he'd had a really good season, really, the season prior, even though he'd only scored 15, I think it was, off the top of my head, in 2020-21. So he significantly improved that tally, almost doubling it by missing out just by one. So it was impossible to leave him out of the front two. And Elliot, might as well hand over to you who's joined him up front, because I think it's pretty obvious to probably
0: everybody. Yeah, the championship player of the year, Aleksandar Mitrovic, had to be in both of our teams. Um the overall player of the year, without a shadow of a doubt, scored the amount of goals he's scored, and and the consistency as well. He's not scored thirty in the first half of the season and then tailed off. It's been consistent throughout the season. You know, I think his biggest goal drought was two games, maybe three. So he's just been 50, 50
1: goal contributions.
0: It's quite easy to get to set in with fatigue, speaking about Mitrovic, Mitrovic and Fulham, because they have been so good this season. But that would be unfair on them because he deserves all the pallets he gets, scored that amount of goals. You know, it's mad to think that Ivan Tony broke the goal-scoring record and everyone waxed lyrical about him last season. And then Mitrovic has not only gone and beat it, he's then added another 10 goals, well, 13 goals, 12 goals on top of that. And it feels like he's got less praise because I think people have almost become tired of raving about him. He shouldn't be playing at Championship level. If he plays at Championship level again, I think it'll be disappointing for him. He's now really got to kick on and do something with his career more than just bully people in the Championship because he's got more talent than that. I think that he's better set to have an impact in the Premier League this time. Scott Parker wanted to move away from the way that He'd set Fulham up in the Championship. He went with a more fluid front three in the Premier League. Obviously, they ultimately got relegated. I think Marco Silva's got every intention of using Mitrovic and him being their focal point. I do think his link players got better as well. You know, you you touched on it there. He's still got, what, seven assists? Was it 43-7 and he ended with in the end um, Um, with the 50-goal contribution? So, I think he's developing as an all-round player and I think he's probably going to be better suited in the Premier League for that. He was a little bit one dimensional at times playing at a level higher. Now I think he's got a bit more about his game, but he's on telling me a ruthless goal scorer. And no matter what happens, really, unless he breaks his leg, he'll be Fulham's top goal scorer next season and he'll be instrumental to their hopes of staying up. So that rounds off my team and your team. George, do you want to run to us through your one to eleven? Yep. So it's Lee Nichols in goal,
1: back four of Jed Spence, Tosin Andrabayo, Lloyd Kelly and Harry Toffalo, midfield, Harry Wilson. Ryan Yates, John Swift and Jaden Anthony, Alexander Mitrovic
0: and Dominic Solanke up front. Now I've got Lee Nichols in goal as well. Back three right to left of Joe Worrell, Lloyd Kelly, Kaine Smith and then wing-backs Jed Spence and Harry Toffolo. Lewis O'Brien and Philip Billing in the centre of midfield with Brennan Johnson just ahead in the number 10. And Mitrovic and Dominic Solanke up front leading the line. I think the only shocker is that you haven't got Lewis O'Brien in your midfield. I think, other than that, I think pretty good. How many have we got the same? We've got one, two, three, four, five, six. Six the same and five different players. So It's not bad. It's about right, no. I would have thought, for us, really.
1: But I think just honorable mentions who could have easily, probably in 99 other scenes out of 100, would have got in there. Andres Weimann, thirty-two Weiman, yeah. goal Weiman was goals, contributions. Joel Pirro had an exceptional season.
0: He blew and cold Johnson again a little me. bit, but he's he still got twenty-eight goal contributions. Oh, he really did. It's, but Weimann for me would be it's really a fact. It's, and there was a few
1: others that you look at and you think they had really good seasons, such as Morgan Gibbs White. He did exceptional for Sheffield United. Chris Willick stayed
0: fit. I think he'd be in my team.
1: Yeah. So there were there was several certainly in attacking areas this year. There was a lot of I mean any other season Andreas Vine with thirty two goal contributions walked into that team. So that just that just proves how high the standard was set by Mitrovic and Solanke this year. So let's see what happens next year if we're talking about numbers similarly because they seem, they seem to be increasing year on year at the minute.
0: This is the Championship Chat podcast. Right, George, we're going to hand out some individual awards now. Um, We've got player, young player and manager. Feel a little bit of a formality, but we felt we should do them anyway. Um, Mitrovic, player of the year for me. I assume the same for you. We've just waxed lyrical about him, so we'll not waste people's time. Correct?
1: Well, there can't possibly anybody else, can you? You can't get 50 gold contributions and not win that award.
0: Young player, who have you got?
1: Well, I'm going to sound like a right pillock now, aren't oh, I? I've got from put... Brennan Johnson when he's not even got in my team. you not but... even put
0: him in your team. I know,
1: I know. It's because of my system. If I'd have gone with, obviously, something different, like right, what you know. went for, you got you in there.
0: Abs- you should have absolutely put him over Anthony. He can play on the left. Well, he didn't play on the left at all, though, did he? No, he did And he I thought did at times. You,
1: you would have been the one I thought. That's why I didn't do it. You'd have been the one to pull me down.
0: No, I would. I would have conscious. if you put like Harry Wilson on the left because he just naturally just yeah. everything about his game is cutting on that. Like that f- Brendan Johnson could play on the right or the left. The, that he's yeah, he done that. Do. He's a fluid forward. So but I think it's wrong. I, you've not got Brendan Johnson because he, he should be well, in I, I, I feel
1: very very bad for it because you know how much I love him and I've loved watching Nottingham Forest this season. They're empty
0: words. So he does get my young player of the season vote though, even if it sounds stupid after my team's election. He does mine as well, um, but I put him, I cared enough to put him in my team, so I get a little bit more credit for that. Um, manager, I think I've made it abundantly clear who I was g- going to pick for a few months now. Carlos Corbran, for me, is the manager of the season. Steve Cooper's done an unbelievable job. And I did say a while ago that the only person that could beat him would be Steve Cooper if he got Forrest promoted. He got Forrest promoted, and I'm still picking Carlos Corbran because I think to get them to Wembley, you know, maybe I'm a little bit biased by the fact that I covered Huddersfield Town in pre-season, and when I say biased, I don't mean because you know I have affection for Huddersfield Town in particular. I don't support them or anything. I mean, just from a point of view that I got a first-hand experience of watching them closely in pre-season, and what I judge a manager of the season is what did I expect from that team before a ball was kicked. That's how I've got to view it. Now, Luton have got a smaller budget, of course they have. I expected Luton to be in the top ten. Because I, because I thought they recruited really well. I thought they were a good uh, got a good manager, got a good core of players, added to that and recruited really well. So I think I had them eight. So I can't... That's what I'm judging my criteria on. And everyone does it slightly differently and there's no right or wrong way, but I've got to go from what I expected in pre-season. I watched Huddersfield in pre-season and this is what I'm saying. And I didn't think they would be much above the relegation zone. And I don't think that was daft. I, I still, you know, if I went back today... I would still make that same prediction because they weren't a good attacking team. I didn't know where the goals were going to come from. Um, The system was, you know, they they flipped and flopped. They conceded so many goals last season. They brought in Lee Nichols, who we knew nothing about in terms of being a championship number one. Tom Lees had just got relegated with Sheffield Wednesday. Mike Pearson was an okay signing. He'd done okay at Luton, but not as brilliantly as he's been this season. Never heard of Levi Colwell like everyone else. So, there was no reason in pre season to expect more from that. And when I still think about you know, Colwell, we didn't know about, but Colwell was brilliant. But I think Corbran's got to take credit for the way he's developed Matty Pearson and Tom Lees and players like that. And Lee Nichols, he put faith in them. So, to go from having the worst defence in the league to finishing third, one game away from promotion, without spending any money, for me, it's got to be Carlos Corbran.
1: Yeah, I've. It's a toss-up between him and Steve Cooper, isn't it? It really is. I mean, they both enjoyed exceptional seasons in, in, in different circumstances. Nathan Jones say, won the
0: official, word, uh, the official yeah, award, didn't he? he did. So.
1: And there probably are others in terms of what they achieved for their own club's ambitions. But for me, I, I have to go with Steve Cooper. That's no disrespect to what Carlos Corbrand did. He did a sterling job for all the reasons you've just said. But Steve Cooper... Obviously, he came in and there was obviously an expectation that he was going to get Forrest climbing the table. But if you'd have told any Forrest supporter when he was appointed on, I think it was something like the 23rd of September, something like that, that they would have ended the season with the final roar, Joe Worrell lifting that playoff final trophy at Wembley, they wouldn't have believed you. And I know I've seen quite a lot on Twitter over the last week or so, people saying, well, they were bottom, but they were only after eight games. there was so long to go. But he's, they were bottom of the league. The the morale of the group must have been rock bottom. It had a torrid start to the campaign. He came in and completely transformed a group of players that probably, in retrospect, should not have achieved what they did. Brennan Johnson was playing League One last season. Ryan Yates had not really done a lot. They just all kicked on as a group, individually and collectively. And The fact that he managed to get a team that obviously is historically a very, very big club from the bottom of the Championship to promotion is just quite frankly unbelievable, and yeah, he, he was he was lucky in the fact that he was able to bring in some decent signs in January, such as Keenan Davis and Sam Surridge. But you, you you're not guaranteed success with those signs. You've got to bed them into your system, and he did exactly that. So, for me, Steve Cooper gets manager of the season. Had Huddersfield got promoted, I probably would have gone with Carlos Corbran because he he's done a terrific job, and that that's no denying what he's done. I'm not saying that he's not done a good job. It's remarkable what he's achieved, but I think the fact that just that Forrest got over the line and got promoted from where they were after the start to the season they experienced,
0: Steve Cooper must take the honour for that one for me. I think that's fair as well. What I think's funny is I've got uh, one Fulham player in my team. Yeah,
1: you've got three I'm in like yours. Three. Yeah, I mean, it says it all, doesn't it?
0: Three Bournemouth, three Huddersfield, three uh, Forest, one Luton, one Fulham. Mm. And the crazy thing
1: is, I've included a player from a team that was nearly relegated in John Swift. It's There's no other league like it, let's be honest. It's been a strange old season, but what a season it's been really. When you think about it, the numbers that have been achieved by so many individuals this season like I said about Andreas Byron, 32 goal contributions in a Bristol City side that rarely did anything to massively impress. It's testament to him and there will be so many teams, as I said a few weeks ago, that will be looking to seriously kick on next season and already I think the promotion shakeup next season could be the most wide open we have ever seen. As we said last week, out of the three that have come down from the Premier League, Norwich you would argue are set best. The other two... Big question marks around how things are going to go. There'll be several teams that were knocking on the door of the playoffs this year that'll be looking to get into those top six places this year. It's going to be interesting.
0: Who knows what we'll be picking in 12 months' time for his team of the season? There's been a couple of manager changes, hasn't there, to be fair. We should probably talk about those before we wrap up. A couple of manager, one appointment, one departure. Um, in terms of Neil Critchley leaving Blackpool, I think that came out of, you know, came as a shock to everyone. I think for me, It's a bit of a worry for Blackpool because I think it it concerns me about what their resources might be for next season if Critchley is now Neil Critchley's done an amazing job at Blackpool, so to leave the club for a Premier League club is not a shock. To leave it for a number two job and and really the first one that's come on knocking on the door of any sort of real substantial upgrade, I think it's a bit of a concern that he's he's been willing to sacrifice being the number one, go in. As Steven Gerrard's replacement for for Michael Beale, I do think that's a bit of a concern for Blackpool, and that it does make me worried about who they might be able to attract. Ian ever is the um, uh, the bookmakers' favourite. There's been an approach for Michael Duff today a bit of Cheltenham Town, who's done a brilliant job there, and is also on the radar of Barnsley. It worries me a little bit about who they might be able to appoint, and the money that they've got now. Charlie Kirk was a player they wanted to sign permanently after his loan. To loan to buy deal in January from Charlton. The the loan fee was the the permanent fee was set at 500k. and Blackpool can't afford to pay it, and they want to sign him. So that worries me. And I don't see unless they sell Josh Bowler, who's got one year left on his contract. So therefore, his um, price tag is diminishing. Unless they sell Josh Bowler, I don't know how they're going to fund any new sort of signings. Now this is a really good team that finished mid table comfortably in the championship. But the form did slightly fall off after January a little bit. It was probably a a 12th place first half of the season and maybe a 16th, 17th place second end of the season. Now, that downward curve, plus the departure of your manager, plus a stronger division, I think, next season in terms of the bottom clubs, plus a lack of funds, it does concern me a little bit about Blackpool.
1: Yeah, I agree, and this is obviously going to have a potential knock-on effect in who they can recruit to replace Neil Critchley. And when the when the news broke, I saw it literally within seconds of it being announced on Blackpool's Twitter page. And I was, you know, when you kind of see that moment, you have to you have to like read it again to make sure you've just seen what you thought you'd seen. I was just, I was for me, it's always checking
0: that it's not a spoof account. Yeah, I, did that. Exactly I had to check the been, team was there for about five minutes. There'd
1: been no rumours of it, but let's be honest, Aston Villa seemed to be the masters of doing transfer business and appointments and things without it getting leaked or anywhere, as we've seen with transfers in the past. I always remember when they signed Danny Ings from Southampton, that came from Cowan absolutely Chambers nowhere. Chambers as well, they
0: did the Callum yeah. Chambers deal that went really yep, under the they radar. Did. But the Ings one was mad, that was, that was that really was, like
1: what? It was, that literally was a moment where you thought, how the hell have they done that without anybody finding out? But the same can be said for Neil Critchley. It was a real shock. And in a way, I, uh, when I first saw it, like in the first few minutes when you're reading it, you don't think of all the things in the background that might have gone off. I thought, that is a backward step. He is on to something at Blackpool. And while like you said, yeah, they enjoyed a better first half of the season than they did the second. But their ultimate goal when they got back into the championship was survival. And they passed that with flying colours with absolutely no fuss whatsoever. They were really, really good to watch for a bulk of the season, they played a decent brand of football and he did a really good job in what they what he got out of them, Neil Critchley. and He obviously, I don't know, he has obviously looked at the situation and thought, I might not get the chance to properly strengthen this squad the way that I'd like this, uh, this summer. Chances are his wages are going to be a lot more substantial at Aston Villa. But I just feel for a manager that had obviously proven himself over the last few years and was really beginning to catch quite a lot of attention as an up-and-coming manager that had got something to prove. Almost like taking now into a backward step as a number two. It's it's just a little bit, to me, it's a l- little bit of a downgrade, if anything. But it's obviously what he's chosen. It's obviously what he's wanted to do. And if financial issues at Blackpool are the problem, which you've said there, then it'll be interesting to see what happens. But the thing is, with the season starting earlier this, this season, because of the World Cup in December, pre-season will start earlier for players at every single club. And time is running out for managers to get in place, such as obviously at Blackpool and Blackburn Rovers as well. So it's going to be interesting to see who Blackpool go for. I'm just looking at the latest odds now and the current favourites, the top five are Michael Duff, Ian Everett, Simon Grayson, Tony Mowbray and Dean Holden. And no disrespect to any of them, but I think that is all a step backwards from Neil
0: Critchley. What do you think about Michael Beale coming in at QPR? Well. I've got to be honest, I don't really know much about him. He wasn't a name that I'd heard of
1: until last week, I've got to be honest. So it's kind of an unknown quantity, isn't it? But in a way, it's kind of a similar one to when Neil Critchley went into Blackpool. He'd come from kind of a, a number two role, coaching role sort of thing, academy setup or whatever. And he's now been flung into a baptism of fire of his first managerial post in the Championship. But we've seen in the past where managers have emerged from nowhere from number two jobs and coaching roles. And and they flourish. So at the minute I'm finding it impossible really to to pass judgment on Michael Beale, because as I say, I don't really know anything about him and what he's done in the past. So gonna be interesting to see. But there's always this degree of excitement with these appointments. You don't really know how it's gonna go. But ask me again, maybe in a month's time, where we've had a little bit of the transfer window and see what QPR have done and I might be able to give you a better answer.
0: Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I think we've seen these sort of appointments work more so than maybe fail and it seems to be a, a growing um, trend in, in in management recruitment where you think Critchley, who we just spoke about of course, was appointed from the Liverpool Academy and has done an amazing job at Blackpool. Had you told me it would, he would be the man replacing Mark um, you know, in March, I'd have probably said that's a very weird thing to do, but we'll see and I'm open-minded to see how it develops next season hopefully they've got to kick on because I, I still think it was a weird decision to get rid of Mark Warburton and deserved another season so there is an element of expectation in my mind not particularly on Beale, but on the board that this has to work then again I thought it was a very weird decision to get rid of Danny and Nicky Cowley from Huddersfield the owner said it was but he said he trusts the vision and look where Carlos core brands took them so exactly. I am, there's a reason we're doing this podcast and I'm not a football manager or an owner should I say because I would definitely not be talking to you anymore and I'd be in a higher, rich vein of life. But sadly, I'm still stuck with you. Thanks. Love you too. And on that note, that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat Podcast. If you do enjoy the pod, please make sure you subscribe in all your usual podcast apps and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at champchatpod24. Sharing the podcast helps go a long way to helping us reach new listeners. So if you do enjoy our weekly shows, please drop a retweet when the episodes go live. And you can support this podcast with our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. Link to donate is in our podcast description if you do feel so inclined. Have a great week and we'll catch you next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.